Thank you all so much. It is my um, extreme honor to get to introduce our speaker. Um, not only because I've got to watch her live out her message in, in many ways, but that because um, she's helped me walk through my story and um, uh, has been a, a light in dark places and a voice of hope and a reminder of, of God's redeeming love and power. So um, I'm just so excited to get um, for y'all to get to hear from her tonight. So if you don't know Jennifer Martin, she um, she does write a blog. Um, I was, didn't tell her I was going to share that, but so I hope it's okay. Um, it's it's incuteshoes.com. So I'm going to read um, a bio from her blog um, that one of her friends wrote because I think it describes her so poetically and so perfectly. Um, and so I want to use this to introduce her. So Jennifer is a self-proclaimed extrovert, lover of people, and a type 2 in the clearest sense of the Enneagram scale. Jennifer Martin was born, raised, and still resides in Marietta, Georgia. As a young girl, Jennifer wanted to be an astronaut, <laughs> even following her dreams all the way to space camp for a week in the early 1980s. And you can tell it's the 80s by the hairstyle. <laughs> she is now a lover of all things Southern. She's happiest when having friends to dinner, hosting any type of party, and filling her house with people. Today, Jennifer is passionate about women's ministry and sharing her story of pain, loss, hope, and redemption. Jennifer is a testament of the truth that redemption is never lost. It's just a matter of climbing the mountain in front of you. Though she's quick to admit, some days feel like climbing mountains in three-inch heels. But Jennifer says, when you submit to the one and allow him to carry you, it is then and only then that you can conquer the mountains of life. And all the while, in cute shoes. So please welcome up Jennifer Martin. Thank you, Tim. Okay, so I know y'all are on pins and needles. I'm not an astronaut. It did, it did not work out. But there's a story there because, like she said, it was back in the 80s. And Space Camp, the movie had just come out. Yeah, there we are again. Okay, so the movie had just come out. And I, despite my math and science grades, I was convinced I was going to be an astronaut. I loved astronomy, and I still do. So being grandparents that we had, they were wonderful, they really believed that I was going to be an astronaut too. So they ponied up the money to send me to Huntsville, Alabama for a whole week. I was in elementary school, so this was a really big deal. So also being wonderful grandparents, they gave my sister the same amount of money. So she put hers in the bank. I went to space camp. Fast forward 20 years later, her and her husband had money for a down payment on a house. And my husband's always like, your sister got money for down payment on the house. And I'm like, you get a space cadet. Like, that, that's all I got. <laughs> so my career with NASA never took off. So the moral of the story is put your money in real estate, not space camp. So that's the smarter one there on the bottom left. One thing I'm also not is a theologian. I've never been to seminary. Um, some of the speakers we've had have teaching or teachers. I'm more of a sharer, so I'm just going to share what God's done in my life and what he put on my heart for tonight. So when I was praying about what to speak on, I was, I can't figure out my papers. I was led to Ephesians. I think the first is going to be up there. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down 
into God's love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might could think or ask. So... Eleven and a half years ago, it was June of 2007, I was married, and I had been married about five years. I had married my high school sweetheart after college. We had just built a house. I had picked, y'all, I had picked everything out from the paint colors as you do, but the brick colors and the way it was going to sit on the lot. And so we'd lived there about six months, and really we'd been married, like I said, five years, but the past year I just, something was wrong in my marriage, and I just could not figure it out. I asked my husband. He told me I was crazy. Everything's fine. But I I just couldn't let it go. Like something was not right. And I was spinning my wheels. I'd spun them so hard that I was at the end of myself. I was like, what am I going to do? So that June morning, I hit my knees in prayer. And that was probably the first time in 28 years. It was the first time in 28 years I'd ever prayed a prayer like this. I hit my knees on that fresh carpet that had hardly been walked on. And I prayed the most heartfelt prayer to the Lord. I said, show me, Lord. Show me what is wrong in my marriage so I can fix it. Show me. Show me. Twelve hours later, we were on a trip with a bunch of couples. And I discovered that my husband and my very best friend since childhood, who was also married, were having an affair. By the Holy Spirit, y'all, I'm telling you, only by the Holy Spirit, I was able to leave quietly and go home. The hurt and the betrayal was beyond what you could comprehend. These are two people that loved me deeply. She and I had known each other since grade school. We'd been best friends. We were all four in each other's weddings. We had walked so many memories with them, and I had so many memories with her before we had even met our husbands. I was crushed. Heartbroken is an understatement. I could not believe that these people that loved me and this husband that took marriage vows with me had done this. I was just distraught. I found myself in front of a divorce attorney. The amount of evidence of betrayal and distrust was was mounting. I was certain I'm not going to be able to walk through the path of divorce. In fact, I said so many times, I can't do this. I will not physically live through a divorce. I can't do it. I will not live through it. I moved home, home being to mom and dad's. And started over at 28. This was also crushing because all my very best friends at that time were pregnant. And they were having their first babies. And here I was, living back home with mom and dad and starting over at square one. Every day was difficult. I could hardly get out of bed. It was difficult. I remember going to the bank to get a new bank account. And I was sitting there and I finished my paperwork. And the tears just started to come. And the lady across from me, bless her heart, she said, it's going to be okay. I remember going to Kroger and being completely stopped in the middle of an aisle, grief-stricken, because I was having to only buy for one. I wasn't buying all the things that I had been used to buying. Facing each day and even those small tasks was too much for me. For the first time in my life, I started to question my faith. I had been raised in church. I knew the scripture, but I had never had to depend on it. But I started to say, Lord, I prayed to you that morning. 
I prayed to you to help me, and this is where you've left me. You have forsaken me just as the other two people that loved me did. Is this what love is about? You say you love me. Well, they said they love me too. What's going on? How am I going to do this? I asked some really hard questions to him in those first few days, weeks, and months. Finally, one day I said, okay, if you are who you say you are, and you can do what you can say you can do, have at it. Each morning I would get up, get to the closet from mental exhaustion, getting ready for the work day, and I would say two words to him every morning. I would say, Lord, show up. Some days it was a whisper, show up, Lord, I'm so tired, show up. Some days it was an anger, show up, I cannot do this anymore. You've got to show yourself to me. I'm here to tell you, each day he showed himself different ways, but he did. On the days that there was so much anger, he showed up. On the days that I could hardly put a foot in front of the other, he showed up. On the days that I made mistakes, and y'all, this point in my life, were riddled with mistakes. He was there each and every time. I started to wonder, maybe the best one to heal my broken heart is the one that created it. I started to learn, too, that he is going to heal, just like Scripture says, the brokenhearted and bind us up. One of my favorite books is The Nightingale. Highly recommend it. The very first sentence in the 600-page book says, In love we find out who we want to be, but in war we find out who we are. And I was in war. And my mind was the battlefield. I was quickly discovering who I'd become all these years. I had sought affirmation from so many people in the wrong places and from everywhere than the one I should have sought. I was learning that I was the girl that was riddled and shamed. How had this happened to me? I was so much less than. I was gossiped about. I mean, he left her for her best friend. I mean, that was crushing. I was damaged goods. I remember telling a counselor that I was seeing at the time, I'm done, I'm out, I am marked by divorce. There's, there's no coming back. That's just how I'm going to be. After a few months at mom and dad's, I moved out. They helped me get a house right off the Marietta Square where I'd wanted to live. It seemed fun to all my girlfriends to help me get the house ready, and it was. But all I wanted was what I saw on the way to work one day. It was a family getting ready. They lived in a little brick ranch. They were loading the kids in the car, and I was like, that's all I want, Lord, a brick ranch and a husband and some kids that love me. My faith at this time was growing slowly, very slowly. But I started to claim verses in Scripture that a wise friend had told me to do. I would pour into the Scripture, some that had been etched in my mind as a child or from an old hymn, but had never come to life. Those words started to flow out of his holy word and into my heart day by day, little by little, and inch by inch. I learned to trust him. Just as in the scripture we read, 17, verse 17 talks about how he'll grow root in your heart and make you strong. That's the only explanation I have for that time. And if you're in a place where you're struggling or you've pled that desperate prayer, waiting for divine intervention, divine appointment from the Lord, some verses that help. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Some verses that helped me during this time was Isaiah 66, 9. I will not cause pain without allowing something new. Psalm 37, 14, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. One verse that sat on my desk for years was Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only need be still. My Bible was underlined a bunch of wills. He will fight for me. 
he will give me the desires of my heart. Those were starting to become promises. And those weren't, maybe he'll get, maybe you'll give me the desires of my heart. Maybe we'll see about that. I'll get back to you next week. Now, these were promises that I could claim. Thankfully, day by day, Jesus fought for me in my heart on that battlefield. As I learned to trust him, that's when I started to learn what true love of Jesus was, what unconditional true love was, not the brokenness that I had experienced from human flesh. As it says in verse 18, it took supernatural power. And it takes supernatural power because we just can't possibly understand how or grasp, as it says, how deep and how wide his love is for us. And that's what I was starting to learn and starting to lean into. Being slowly rooted in this, I eventually started seeing pieces of my old self come back. I was able to laugh again, to enjoy things. It took every fiber of me to believe them. And I had to repeat them, y'all, the scripture daily, over and over and over again, a zillion times in an hour to remind myself. I just kept praying for restoration. I learned that the definition of restore is to bring back to original or normal condition, to bring back to a state of health. Slowly, I was creeping to this. After a year or so of living in the new neighborhood and being loved on by my friends and family, I started to take root with new friendships. I met some great friends. One in particular had a brother. We were all good friends. We had so many good times. I would have porch parties and neighbor dinners, like Kim said, I love to entertain. So we were just all together as a group all the time. We spent a lot of those days getting to know each other. One day, he got up the courage to ask me to dinner, and that was actually 10 years ago yesterday. From there, a sweet friendship turned into relationship. He had been hurt and divorced, too. We had so much to work through, so much. So we spent most of the first few months talking, and that was mainly me. Um, But about a year later, I found myself saying yes to a future with this man. All that we had learned from our divorces and our hurt and our pain, we knew one thing. We knew our love, our marriage has to be rooted in God's love, and he's got to be the center of it. So much that when he proposed, he gave me a ring, of course, and then he gave me a Bible with my new name on it. We married three months later at a chapel right down the street where both of our parents had been married, and we got married in front of 46 family members. I remember on my wedding day, and this was my second wedding day, I opened my eyes, lying in bed that morning, and immediately, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad, and it came right to me. And I was like, yes, yes, Lord. I had made a list of things I had wanted in a husband. And I remember thinking, Lord, if you'll just give me like five, half of these, three or four, I'm good. I'll take care of the rest. But y'all, as our pastor likes to say, he is a good, good father. And he desires to give you good gifts, just like he will give you the desires of your heart. Y'all, every one of those things I prayed for was in this man. Now, let's not get it twisted. He's not perfect. But the things that I had desired, he had. That morning, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for bringing me full circle from that prayer when I was on my knees in summer of 2007 to grow in my heart, to make me strong, to survive the past few years, and give me immeasurably more. I was finally at the immeasurably more stage, and I could not believe it. But I was only there for a short time. 
You see, four months after we'd been married, we learned we were pregnant. We'd both been married before. We were older. We were so excited. We went to the doctor the first few weeks of December, and we saw a healthy heartbeat. All was good. We went back in January for our 12-week, and we learned that we were pregnant with a little girl, and we learned that she was very sick. She had a very rare cystic hygroma. It's very rare. And it has to do with the lymphatic system. And because the ultrasound couldn't see her so well because she was still only 12 weeks, we went through some painful, painful testing, physically painful and mentally painful. We learned that her chromosomes were normal. That was a, a, a good thing. We'll take that. And as we started to go to appointments, and y'all, it was like three or four appointments a week, downtown Atlanta, Marietta, everywhere. We were given little slivers of hope. We were also reminded of very many of them, most of them, that this outcome may not be good. By process of elimination, we learned that she had a heart defect. We thought, okay. We met with a surgeon. We met with a cardiologist, and they gave us a ton of hope. They said, just get her here. We can fix this. Her hygroma resolved at week 20, so we were still trying to have so much hope. But here we were, back at verse 14, back on our knees. I started to feel the questions of being forsaken starting to rise up in me. The reminder of how much God has shown me love over the past few years and in my trial was clear in so many ways. But if that was true, why were we back here? Like, I'd done my thing. You restored. You brought that back. Why, why am I here again? I will tell you that there is a, it's a totally different ache as a mama than as a scorned wife. I pled. I cried. I begged for life. I begged for restoration and redemption. Restore her. Make her new. Make that state of health. Bring restoration. One thing that I was thankful for in this season is God had essentially already proven himself to me after the divorce. So I knew, okay, I just got to use my tools. I just got to get my scripture. I started repeating them constantly again. The same promises. These were a bit bolder because I knew he could do it. He had done it before. The next few months were filled with appointments. We were trying to live on hope. I just knew he had given me my immeasurably more and he was not going to mess with it. But at 28 weeks, six months pregnant, I didn't feel her move one morning. We headed to the hospital and learned we had lost our sweet girl. The hospital prepped me for delivery. We labored, we prayed, and rested over the next 18 hours with our family. Until the next Sunday morning, right after the sun rose, we delivered and met our firstborn, Rebecca Reese Martin. She was already in the arms of Jesus. So much that we had to keep telling ourselves, Jimmy and I would say, she's already with Jesus. We're holding our baby. She's already with Jesus because that's the only way we could comfort ourselves. And I say comfort lightly. We knew she wasn't there. This is just her sweet body. Our family came to meet her. We cried buckets. We held her. We saw her sweet features. We had her baptized. And then Jimmy and I said our goodbyes. I will tell you, I do not think there's anything crueler than walking in a hospital with a swollen belly and leaving empty-handed. And here we are, back at verse 14 again, back at falling on our knees. I can only tell you the love of Jesus and the peace of Jesus filled that hospital room as we had prayed. And I can also tell you that only he got us through those next few months. They were awful. They were filled with so much grief. And we were still a pair of newlyweds trying to navigate a new marriage. 
I like to tell people that our friends and family held us up, much like when Moses is fighting, when his arms are up, the enemy can't proceed. But they would get tired. They would fall. And his friends, Aaron and her, would hold them up for him. That was us. We were undone. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes, sorrow is better than laughter because it refines us. We'd been a bit refined from our past, which thankfully helped us know the healer even better through this. Was there hurt there beyond belief? Was the pain unbearable every single day? Three months later, we found out we were pregnant again. Excitement and fear all at once. Joy and doubt in the same breath. Grief and gratitude in the same heartbeat. We were back on our knees, praying for a healthy baby. The appointments went smooth. They monitored us like crazy. Nine months later, exactly on her due date, our second daughter, Emery Francis, was born. She's six today, and she's full of life. I still praise Jesus daily for the gift of motherhood he graciously gave me. Three years later... We welcomed our son, James, who's three now. I cannot tell you over the past few years how many times I've breathed the words immeasurably more. Sometimes at big events like birthday parties or baptisms, immeasurably more, Lord, thank you. And sometimes at Target when we're a hot mess and all we're trying to do is get out of the store, I'm like, this is immeasurably more, Lord, this is it. Or at Chick-fil-A when I don't know what they're getting on the playground, immeasurably more, Lord. But this was all I could ever dream. Maybe you're in this season. Maybe you're in the season of Thanksgiving. If you are, I want to encourage you to offer the prayers of Thanksgiving. One prayer that I started to pray that just came to me after my divorce is, Lord, help me to be humble enough to remember my past, to be ever grateful for my present. I don't ever want to forget where I was and what he's done. I also want to encourage you, if you're in this season of Thanksgiving, to be the body to somebody to love on them to somebody that's not in the season, to share on them as Christ has called us to do, to be the light in their dark season. Maybe you're not in the season of Thanksgiving. Maybe you're on your knees like verse 14 says. Maybe you're praying for that breakthrough in your marriage that's been to hell and back. Maybe you're single and you're waiting for the man of the dreams to walk in your door. Maybe you are begging God that the next fertility treatment work. Maybe you are begging him to make way for your womb to carry a healthy baby. Some of you are waiting on a diagnosis to change for a loved one. Some of you are fighting like mad for your child's education. Some of you are widows and feel forsaken. Some of you are divorcees. Some of you are in the midst of divorce. Some of you are hurt from past hurts from your youth. You're just waiting. You're just waiting for that immeasurably more to come to fruition. Let someone speak the truth of Jesus over you into your life, into your marriage, into your hurt, into your pain, into your struggle. There is so much freedom in that. He promises to complete the work that he started in you. Maybe you're in the middle where things may not be terrible, but they may not be so great. We want to pray that you experience, like verse 17 and 18 says, the supernatural power of Jesus. We want to pray that you see his holy word over you in your life. Immeasurably more, it's a wonderful season to be in. It's wonderful. I'd love to say that I'm never going to go back to verse 14, but I can't. 
I have no idea what the future holds. But I do know what follows verse 14. And that is verse 17 and 18. His love, his roots that will make me strong. Are you strong? And I know what follows that. And that's immeasurably more. And that same story of hope and redemption that he's done in my life is available to each and every one of you. The worship team is going to come back up. We'll have ministry teams up front. They'll pray with you about anything, any season that you're in. And before we do that, I just want to send everybody out in prayer. So let's pray. Dear Most Heavenly Father, I thank you for each woman seated here tonight, how you made a way for them to be here. I thank you for your amazing love that is so hard for us to even comprehend. I thank you that it covers us and that you are constantly seeking to take root in each of our hearts. I pray right now for the women specifically in a season of hurt and pain. The women desperately pleading for a divine intervention. The women that are waiting on their redemption story in whatever season of life they may be in. I pray for the women that are in a season of contentment. That they take comfort in your answered prayers and your words. That they never forget the magnitude of your love. I pray for the women struggling with identity of not measuring up. Something so many of us struggle with on a daily basis. I pray you remind them just of who they are and how much they are loved. And they they are more than enough. I ask that you be near to the brokenhearted Lord. Bind them up, their wounds, just as you promised in Scripture. I pray that you begin to make things new and give hope where all seems lost. Luke says, Blessed is she who believed the Lord would fulfill her promises. And Lord, we are claiming that you fulfill these promises for these women. We thank you for your most gracious, precious, and pure love. Amen.